0: A good Thursday to all of you. Thanks for joining us. As always, it is very much appreciated. So there's lots of talk, lots of talk about a Bill Belichick departure. And I've heard a couple of things that I want to push back on today. First and foremost, Bill, quote unquote, won't allow himself to be dealt. That's one thing that I've heard. I've also heard that Bill Belichick has all the leverage in this situation, that he would be able to force Robert Kraft's hand on what to do with the head coaching position and GM position with this football team once this season is over. And a lot of people are confident that Belichick will have a say as far as how he has let go if he is let go. And I completely disagree. I completely disagree with the assertions that Belichick won't allow himself to be dealt. I completely disagree with the assertion that Belichick has all the leverage in this situation, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, head coaches under contract get dealt. It has happened multiple times in the NFL. Look at the history. Eric Mullen, NBC Sports Boston, going back months ago, wrote this. There have been seven deals involving big-name head coaches over the last 25-plus years. All of these guys were under contract, right? These guys didn't necessarily want to leave. Some of them did want to leave. But there were contracts involved. Bill Parcells, 97, from the Patriots to the Jets. Mike Holmgren, in 99, from the Packers to the Seahawks. Belichick himself, in 2000, from the Jets to the Patriots. John Gruden, in 2002, from the Raiders to the Buccaneers. Herm Edwards, 2006, from the Jets to the Chiefs. Bruce Arians, 2019, from the Cardinals to the Buccaneers. Sean Payton, just this past offseason, from the Saints to the Broncos. Seven times a head coach that has had at least some power, quote-unquote, to dictate where he was going to go, seven times that coach was traded. And yes, Bill Belichick is seen as the GOAT, but when you look at these names, these are heavy hitters, folks. These aren't some, you know, slappy coaches trying to find their next gig. Bill Parcells, Mike Holmgren, Belichick, Gruden, Sean Payton. Those are some of the biggest head coaching names that we've seen in football over the past two decades. And every single one of those coaches was traded when the time came. Four of those seven deals, by the way, included a first-round pick. Five of the seven deals had at least a second-round pick. So the case has been when a coach wants to go somewhere else and that coach is under contract, that coach is traded. And when the coach is traded, the team that trades the coach gets a first-round pick or second-round pick the majority of the time. That's what history tells us. Speaking of Sean Payton from the same NBC Sports Boston story, Sean Payton was under contract. He was under contract with the Saints for two more seasons. So not only was he under a contract, that contract was two years in term. And he was still dealt from the Saints to the Broncos. That gave New Orleans some leverage. Because they had Peyton under contract. If Bill Belichick is under contract to the New England Patriots, they have leverage in this situation. That's what we've seen from the NFL time and time again when we have this kind of scenario. Secondly, what if Kraft Kraft decides to go to Belichick and say, hey, Bill, I want you as a head coach, but we don't want you running this ship anymore. You don't have any say in personnel. I'm going to strip that power from you. You are no longer GM. You're just head coach. What would Belichick do? What if Kraft has the right contractually to pull the personnel power from Belichick? What's Belichick's answer? Does Belichick stay just a coach? Does that rub Belichick wrong? What if Robert Kraft walked up to his head coach and GM and said, you are going to coach or you are going to sit home for a season? Would Belichick, at the age of 71, 72 years old, really want to sit home for a year? Think about it. He's entering into his mid-70s soon, folks. He's not going to coach until he's 80. Taking a year off at the age of 71, 72 is completely different than taking a year off like Sean Payton did in your early 60s. Would Belichick be willing to acquiesce and just give up a season and stay home Go on his boat. I don't know what the hell he would do. Does he golf? I have no idea. So what if Kraft walked up to Belichick and said, I'm taking the GM power from you? You can coach. If you don't want to coach, you can sit home. Those are your two options, Bill. And people might say, Well, Nick, why would why would Kraft do that? What if what if Belichick said he didn't want to coach? Okay. Then you move in a different direction. And by the way, you have Gerard Mayo on the staff. You have Gerard Mayo contracted to you for multiple years. So Kraft has a security blanket. If Bill Belichick wants to play hardball and Kraft goes up to Belichick and says, it's either you coach or sit. And Belichick says, I'll sit. Fine. Then we'll just promote Gerard Gerard Mayo or we'll go somewhere else and get another coach. We're going to have to do that anyway. If Belichick drags his feet, because people might push back and say, Nick, Belichick could drag his feet with that decision. Number one, Kraft could give an ultimatum and a deadline. Number two, Kraft could allow Belichick to drag his feet a little bit because he has Gerard Mayo on the staff. So whenever Belichick made that decision to either coach or sit, you then go to Mayo. And if that's your plan anyway, you didn't necessarily miss out on anything. You gave Belichick time to make that decision. Let's talk about another part of this conversation. Why do we assume that Bill Belichick is happy? Do you think Bill's happy? Do I think Bill's happy? See, the idea of those who say Belichick won't allow himself to be traded or Belichick has all the leverage, that's if Belichick wants to stay. If Belichick wants to stay here in New England, then he could play some hardball. But what if Bill wants out? What if Bill understands that it's best for everybody in this situation to just move on? What if Belichick is miserable with the operation at this point? What if Belichick is tired of dealing with the Crafts or, or dealing with the New England media after 20-plus years? If Belichick is unhappy, then Belichick might want out. And if Belichick wants out, then Belichick might be willing to play ball with Kraft and say, okay, I don't mind going to that place. You do the work. You do what you've got to do. Let me know when you have a trade figured out and I'll be on my way. We can't assume that Belichick is happy. We can't assume that Belichick wants to even use his leverage to stay in New England. We have no idea. Bill might be looking to get the hell out of here. He might be sitting there saying to himself, I can't wait to leave this place. 20 years is a long freaking time. What if Belichick had the option of you retire or you allow Robert Kraft to work out a deal to go to the place where you wouldn't mind going. Bill's not going to retire. So if he's miserable, he wants out, but he doesn't want to retire. And Kraft has the ability to make it hard on Belichick by either pulling the personnel power or telling him, you coach or you sit for this season. What's Belichick's options at that point? He retires, which I don't think is going to happen. He sits, which I don't think is going to happen. Or he has to work with Robert Kraft mutually to get himself out of New England. Something else. And by the way, don't forget to give us that like, give us that thumbs up and throw your comments in there. Do you agree with me? Do you push back on the assertions that Belichick won't allow himself to be dealt as if he has all the power in this situation? Do you believe that Belichick has all of the leverage? Throw your comments in there. I will get to them when I can. And again, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, YouTube. The likes mean an awful lot. More likes means more eyeballs. Robert Kraft is motivated. Let's think about this. Tom Brady left the Patriots, the GOAT. He left the Patriots, walked out the back door. Patriots got nothing in return. Squadoosh. If you're Kraft and you got nothing for Tom Brady, do you think you're going to sit down and feel good about this idea of Bill Belichick? Many people believe he's the greatest coach of all time. Do you think you'd feel great about this idea of losing the greatest player of all time and the greatest coach of all time, and you got zero in return? That's We talk about asset management. We talk about resource allocation. That's brutal. You lose the greatest of all time on the field. You lose the greatest coach of all time, and you get nothing back for those two humans? That is horrible mismanagement. So I think Kraft will be motivated. He doesn't want to get zero for Belichick. I'm sure he's peeved. They got zero for Brady. I'm sure he's peeved that Brady left. Can't lose both of those guys for nothing. And here's another piece. And nobody ever talks about this. When we have this conversation of the future of Belichick and whether or not Belichick will be traded and if he has leverage and how much leverage Kraft has and how this is actually going to work. We never talk about the owners because frankly, it's a little bit boring to talk about the owners in the NFL. They're rich dudes, congratulations. You lived a great life. But when you look at the owners, and this goes for really any professional sports league, owner relationships matter. Owners care about other owners and the perception of those relationships. Owners don't like to be embarrassed. They get very frustrated with bad optics. They usually like to work hand in hand if it makes each owner look good. I'll give you an example. Say the Glazers down in Tampa want Belichick, and Kraft knows that he's got to get Belichick out of town. Now, nobody wants to look bad. Nobody wants to have egg on their face. Belichick doesn't want egg on his face and make it look like he forced a hand and left, and it was bad how it ended. Kraft doesn't want Belichick to walk out and get nothing in return because now, again, it looks like he lost the greatest coach of all time and didn't get anything back in return for him. So that would be egg on Kraft's face. And the Glazers, the Glazers want to make it look like, hey, we we did everything we could to get the greatest coach of all time. We were willing to sacrifice everything that we could. We weren't going to pass up the opportunity to bring in a Bill Belichick because of a draft pick or two. So owners get together. They have conversations. They help each other out because neither wants to lose. That's how this works. They do right by each other. And owners also love precedent. They love precedent. Robert Kraft is going to look, and he's going to say, I still have Bill Belichick on contract. And there have been seven trades in the last 25 plus years of head coaches going to other teams. Parcells, Holmgren, Belichick himself. Four of those seven deals included a first round pick. Five of those seven deals had at least a second round pick involved. Pro Football Focus wrote a few weeks ago, we talked about it on this podcast that Belichick's value would be, you know, a a first round pick and close to what Peyton was worth. Kraft's going to look at that and he's going to say. That's the precedent. If Bill Belichick is leaving, that's the precedent. And owners respect precedent. Owners respect precedent, and they respect each other to a point so they don't embarrass each other. It's one big kind of club, right? So this is going to be an owner situation. And frankly, I don't think that Belichick is going to be super involved in an owner-to-owner negotiation. I don't think Belichick's going to walk into Robert Kraft's office and go, hey, can you put the Glazers on speakerphone? That's not how this works. There are levels to this, as Conor McGregor once said. There are levels to trades. And so when you when you look at this, this kind of trade would be owner to owner. That's the conversation that's happening. It's not GM to GM. No way in hell is that how this gets worked out. So if this trade is made. To think that Bill Belichick would have a big say in this is a reach to me because it would come down to owner-to-owner relations and what those two owners work out. And I would say we have no idea about the contract details of Bill Belichick, but I would venture to guess that Robert Kraft has some kind of protection within that contract. So I just I disagree with the assertions that Belichick – is going to have all the say in this, that Belichick has all of the power. Yeah, Belichick is not going to go somewhere where he doesn't want to go. Belichick is certainly going to say, yeah, I want to go there. I don't mind going there, Robert. But I think that's the extent of the power that Belichick has. Because Kraft, if he doesn't like what's going on, he could just tell Belichick to sit. We don't know the conditions. If he can pull the personnel power, he could just t- say to Belichick, hey, look, you're going to coach, you're going to sit. So we don't we don't know all of the details. And I think we're leaping to all of these grand conclusions of how this is going to go if Belichick is gone. And we're kind of leaping to this idea that Belichick is going to walk in there, put his junk on the table and say, I'm not going anywhere. I, I just we don't know. And I just gave you seven, eight, nine reasons as to why Belichick could get traded once this season is over. Reasonable tangible reasons why just gave you it. So we'll see what happens. There's another debate happening here in Boston and New England. I want to get to that as well. And that debate is about the quarterback position. Should the Patriots start with the franchise quarterback at the top of the draft, or should the Patriots work on surrounding the eventual quarterback first? My opinion's coming up. Don't forget to like on YouTube. Give us that thumbs up. Give us those likes on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter as well, or X, whatever we call it, and comment on the show. Comment on the thoughts. Do you think Bill Belichick has all of the leverage in the situation as this season comes to a close within the next few weeks? I want all of your thoughts there in the comments section. I will get to them when I can. All right, let's get to the quarterback conversation, okay? Quarterback or the quarterback surroundings. I've heard some people say that the Patriots should not draft a quarterback At the top of the draft, if they have the second pick, as they do currently, as we get ready for tonight's game, if the Patriots have the second pick in the draft, I've heard people say that they should not use that top two pick on a quarterback. It's an interesting take. It's an interesting uh, opinion to have. Aaron Schatz, if you're wondering how great of a chance the Patriots do have at a top two pick, Aaron Schatz posted this week, his DVOA simulation gives the Patriots a top two pick 50% of the time. Seth Walder Walder rather, Seth, Seth Walder from ESPN Analytics uh, posted a chance to earn a number one or number two pick through the late afternoon window last week. The Bears had a 93% chance of landing a top two pick. The Patriots had a 60% chance of landing a top two pick. As far as earning the number one pick, the Bears have a 72% chance and the Patriots have a 19% chance. So the Patriots have a really good chance of landing a top two pick, a good shot at a top two, a great shot at a top three. And the question, to QB or not to QB? I first want to say, this is not a mutually exclusive scenario. I hate the idea of, you know, you if you don't get a wide receiver, if you don't draft Marvin Harrison, then what are you going to do at wide receiver? Oh, no. If you don't draft a tackle, what are you going to do at tackle? This is not mutually exclusive. The Patriots, write this down, they're a part of the 70-75 club. What the hell does that mean? The 70-75 club, I don't know if it's catchy enough to have a t-shirt, but three picks in the top 70. The Patriots will be in a position to have three picks in the top 70 of the 2024 draft. That's the 70 part. They'll have $75 million at least of cap space to spend. The 70-75 club. So when we talk about this idea of, oh, you you need all of these weapons around the quarterback and you need to go out there and get a Marvin Harrison at the top of the draft. I don't necessarily disagree with the former. I do disagree with the latter. Finding a franchise quarterback is much tougher than finding a franchise wide receiver. Much tougher. There's no doubt in my mind of that. The toughest position to fill is the most critical position that you have to fill. And that's the QB. If you look at drafts over the past five, eight, 10 years, the top 10 pick hit percentage for quarterbacks versus drafting a quarterback after the top 10, it's not even necessarily close. Yes, there are players that get drafted later and they work out. Lamar Jackson is one of them, obviously. Russell Wilson has been one. Dak Prescott is one. Jalen Hurts is another. Maybe Jordan Love in Green Bay. I'm not telling you it's impossible to draft a quarterback late in the first round or the second round or the third round or fourth round and hit. It's not impossible. But what I'm telling you is if you are a betting person, if you want the best odds of hitting on a quarterback and that quarterback becoming a franchise QB, if you want that to be the case, then your best option is to use a top 10 pick. That's what history tells us. There's a couple of things I would also like to discuss here before we get into the meat of the conversation. Number one, you have to believe, if you're using a top two pick on a quarterback, you have to believe that that quarterback can be a top 10 guy at the next level. And with that thought in mind, what are people saying about these quarterbacks? The Athletic had a great column about the quarterback position in this year's draft, especially on Caleb Williams and, and Drake May. Dane Brugler wrote that both guys have the talent and potential to grow into top 10 quarterbacks. Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic says that both May and Williams are capable of entering a bad situation. This is crucial. Baumgartner believes that both Williams and May are both capable of entering a bad situation next year and making it better pretty quickly. And he writes, that's not something we always say about the quarterback at the top of the draft. Deontay Lee says that in terms of talent alone, both Williams and May can be top 10 passers at the next level. The consensus, everywhere that I've looked, everything that I've watched, everything that I've listened to, my own eyes watching these two quarterbacks play. Everybody agrees that Williams and May have franchise quarterback talent. I have not seen one person come out and say, that guy can't be a franchise quarterback. I'm talking about legitimate college football analysts and pundits, guys that scour through all of these scouting reports and give you a draft mock as we get closer and a draft breakdown as we get closer. I'm not talking about Tom, Dick, and Harry who watch Saturday every once in a while. I'm talking about legitimate guys who get paid money to break these things down. And everybody pretty much to a man is saying these top two quarterbacks in this draft are franchise quarterbacks. They're not a Mac Jones. Everyone saw Mac Jones's limitations. We've discussed them over and over and over again. So that's what people think. Quarterback to me has to be a top 10 guy at the next level. If you're going to spend a top two pick on him, I would also say, because a lot of people will sit back and I've seen this. Yeah, but we've been burnt before it burnt before. Well, we have to believe that Bill Belichick is not going to be calling the shots. So we have to believe that that quarterback has a chance to be a top 10 guy. And the fan base and people watching this play out have to believe that the GM is actually good at their job because there's always risk. There's always risk in the draft. You have to trust the idea that the person who's who's pulling the levers and making those calls is good at their job. More thoughts on this in a minute. First, click that like button and don't forget to comment. I would love to see your comments as we go along here on YouTube live and Twitter and Facebook. Here's something else I would say to some people who believe you don't have to draft a quarterback in the top two if you get one of those spots, or maybe even the top three if Williams and May are there. You're not guaranteed another shot. You are there right now. If you have a top two pick or a top three pick, you are there right now. And I think you've got to take advantage of that. There is no guarantee that you're going to be in a position to land a franchise quarterback prospect in the next two, three, four, five years. There's no guarantee. And again, the percentages tell you you have a much better shot of landing that franchise quarterback in the top 10, especially this year with these prospects, than you have later in the draft or the next few years. You're not guaranteed anything. People that want to get a bridge quarterback, you're not guaranteed that that bridge quarterback is going to be a bridge to something better. You have to take advantage of the moment. You're in a position to strike, and you have to strike if you're in that position. You're not guaranteed the next great quarterback, next year's draft, or 2026. You have no idea. What we do know is that the Patriots will have an opportunity, if you look at the analytics, of having a top three pick And this year, as they have a top three pick, there are not one but two quarterbacks seen as possible generational talents. I don't know how you can look at that and walk away without a quarterback. I just don't know how. If you draft the right guy, and again, this is off the idea that this quarterback could be top 10 at the next level, and the idea that the GM actually knows what he's doing. If you select Williams or May, and they are who we think they are, and we, I mean, as the draft community, right? If the draft community is right on both of these guys and you draft one of those two guys, you don't have a quarterback problem for the next 10 years, 12 years. Doesn't that sound nice? Why would you want to keep rolling with a quarterback problem? Why, why would you want to have a bridge quarterback like Baker Mayfield for a couple of years and then Baker doesn't work out? Then you've got to find another vet or you've got to hope that the draft works out or you've got to hope to revive Mac Jones or you've got to hope that Bailey's that it's, it's madness to me. If you pick the right guy at that position, at the top of the draft, the biggest problem that you could have no quarterback is solved for the next decade. At least sounds good to me. Another thing, how deep are these other positions? When you think about quarterback versus wide receiver versus offensive tackle, wide receiver is very, very deep this year in the draft. Mel Kuyper says that his over-under first-round wide receivers is five and a half. Kuyper lists eight guys as possible first-round picks at wide receiver. Dane Brugler of The Athletic has 10, I said 10, 10 wide receivers in his top 50. You have a much better chance of landing a number one receiver. Marvin Harrison, no doubt, is the number one guy in this draft. But you still have a great opportunity to land a number one wide receiver, an absolute killer at the top of the second round, or if you want to move up late into the first round, versus finding a quarterback that could be a franchise guy for the next 10 to 15 years. The numbers tell you that. The odds tell you that. Wide receiver is deep. O line. Nick, how about O line? O line's deep. Oh, and by the way, Wide receivers, how about free agents? T. Higgins, Mike Evans, Calvin Ridley, Hollywood Brown, Curtis Samuel, OBJ, Michael Pittman Jr. So not only is the draft very deep, you also have a good free agency field at wide receiver. How about the offensive line? Also very deep. Dame Brugler has eight offensive tackles in his top 50 this year. Eight. Brandon Thorne, who is an expert at trench play, he posted about this offensive tackle class. This tackle class has an unreal amount of talent in it. Most tackles taken in round one over the last 12 drafts was six in 2020. I think it's a good bet that this class exceeds that number. Special group. So wide receiver, deep, and some would say special. Offensive tackle, deep, and some would say special. Quarterback, you never know. I mean, this to me is such an easy decision. If you're in the top two or three and have a chance at drafting one of Williams or may such an easy decision. Here's my scenario. What would I do? GM cattle's. I would draft Williams or may whichever one I have a shot at, whichever one I like more. I would draft the franchise quarterback at the top of the draft. Then I would sign one of T Higgins or Calvin Ridley. And then I would draft a tackle either at the top of the second round with my pick, or I would try to move up and draft a tackle later in the first round. If you did that, you have your quarterback of the future, you have your wide receiver one of the future, and you have your left tackle of the future. You just took care of the three biggest holes offensively that you have with this football team. And you still have. You still have a bunch of money to spend in the offseason. That's what I would do. Draft the quarterback at the top. Draft the tackle late first round, early second round. Go out and spend some money at wide receiver on proven legitimate number 1 guys. Calvin Ridley, T Higgins, one of those guys. If you think Mike Evans has, you know, 2 or 3 years, you might even grab him. That is my, that is my plan. See what James says. Hey Nick, free agency before the draft, do you think we'll have a hard time attracting a top wide receiver with no quarterback? Not if you have a top 2 or 3 pick. If you go to T. Higgins and say we're drafting one of Caleb Williams or Drake May, then T. Higgins looks at it and goes, I just went from Joe Burrow, number one overall pick, stud, young stud, to another young stud. I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty, pretty good. Michael says, uh, preach, brother. Not, not peach. Preach, brother. I'm trying. The high first round pick. High first-round pick, top-ten pick, gives you the best chance to land that franchise quarterback. All right, quickly, some Steelers-Patriots thoughts before I bid you adieu. Trubisky versus Zappy. I think the game's going to be ugly. We all think it's going to be ugly. Over, under a 30 feels right. It's going to be a fist fight and a phone booth. Turnovers, though, can change it all. You have a couple of turnovers, could equal scores, and all of a sudden, it's a vastly different game than we all expect. T.J. Watt versus Mike Owenu could be a big problem. Owenu had a terrible game on Sunday against Khalil Mack. And I still have Micah Parsons PTSD. So they've got to do something about Watt. they've done a terrible job of eliminating the top pass rusher of the opposition. They did a terrible job against Dallas and Parsons. They did a terrible job last week against Khalil Mack. You got to look at this game and say to yourself, if you're the Patriots, we have to do everything we can to try to at least, at least limit TJ Watt in this football game because he could wreck it all. Guys, a beast second in sacks, tied for second in hits, tied for the most batted passes, and don't forget Bailey Zappi short. I mean, this guy does everything. Tackles for loss, no gain, tied for 10th in position rank, stud. Thanks to t- uh, Taylor Kyles for some of those numbers, CLNS. Steelers' defensive approach. They stack the box. That's what I think. They'll stack the box. They'll force Zappi to win over the top. The Steelers' defense is sixth in DVOA. This defense is in a different universe than the Chargers defense we saw on Sunday. This is going to be a much tougher, tougher challenge for Bailey Zappi tonight. The Pats offense, who do they have? Ramondre Stevenson out. Pop Douglas out. Juju and Devontae Parker are both dinged up with injuries. And Pittsburgh, if you're wondering, is the second best team in the NFL in opposing completion percentage. They're tough. Good defense. Great pass rusher. Playmaker and Mika Fitzpatrick. Very difficult without Stevenson, without pop and other guys banged up. Now, with that said, the Steelers defense is predictable. And can O'Brien take advantage of that predictability? I have to see it to believe it. The Steelers play man to man, the fourth highest rate in man to man coverage in the NFL this year, man to man, as we've gone over time and time again on this podcast, on this show, man to man has given the Patriots big time issues. As far as the Patriots' defense, I think they'll make Trubisky work. They'll make him work through his reads. The Steelers' offensive line is not very good. They might be able to get some pressure, but you want to stay disciplined because you cannot get beat by Trubisky's legs. We saw that, right? We we saw Trubisky run wild against the Patriots a few years ago when he was in Chicago. The line, Steelers minus six, over under 30, I've said, For the last several weeks, I'm not picking the Patriots in any game until they actually win one on the field. I am laying the points with the Steelers, the minus six, and I am taking the under because I think offensively this game might be one of the worst that we've seen. And that's saying an awful lot because uh, we just saw a 6 nothing game at Gillette on Sunday. All right, everybody, enjoy your Thursday. Enjoy the football tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. 11 a.m. Eastern. Don't forget, we go live Monday through Friday right here on YouTube. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. Don't forget to throw the comments in and don't forget to subscribe. We'll be back on a Friday. Until then, it is the Nick Cattle Show.